If you were not with us last week, you may have missed the announcement, but Pastor Franco last week announced to the congregation that he, was, he is resigning from Bethany, and he has been called and accepted the call to be the lead pastor of Archer's Chapel in Tennessee. And so we are grateful for that. Amen. We're grateful for uh, Pastor Franco's ministry here at Bethany over the last four years, and we're excited for what God has for him. This is not the last time that he will be preaching at Bethany. He will be speaking on Wednesday evening, which is a great opportunity for me to plug Wednesday night service. You should be here for that. Come to hear Pastor Franco this Wednesday, and then keep coming after that to pray and seek God with us. But uh, this is the last opportunity that he will be speaking with us on a Sunday morning. And so uh, I just want to encourage you to open your heart to what uh, God has given Pastor Franco to share with us today, and uh, would you join me in just welcoming Pastor Franco to this pulpit one last time, and just as an act of encouragement and love for him and his ministry over these last four years, would you help welcome Pastor Franco to the pulpit here at Bethany? Thank you, Pastor. Today definitely is a unique day, and what I want to do this morning, I want to not only preach, but pay tribute to these last four years as well as to what lies ahead. And so that's why I found the story of Nehemiah so fitting. It allows us to talk about leadership, vision, and unity that is crucial for the church to know and understand. As believers, we're... I know, my voice is very loud. It's not me. Just saying. (laughs) As believers, we're always partners in the mission and vision of what the Big C Church is called to. And now, before I start the message, I do want to share a little trade secret with you guys. It's a it's a silver lining that every pastor gets to experience when they say goodbye. So Massive secret here, I'm letting you in. The people that they could never make happy are finally happy. So if that's you, Merry Christmas. A little Christmas present for you there. Now in this message, I want to look at different parts of the story of Nehemiah, and we're going we're gonna to kind of fly over the part of uh, uh, this story of Nehemiah, uh, you know, um, to learn about leadership, vision, and Unity, And as we do so, the reason I want to do this is I think it helps us understand our function as the big C church, the role we play, and how we not only build, but we defend as well. So we're going to start at the beginning. Nehemiah has a chance to ask about the condition of Jerusalem, and this is the report that he's given. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So there's this heavy emotional response from Nehemiah, but then he says, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So he receives news that leaves him upset and crushes him, but that does nothing to change his spiritual discipline. 
It's not an excuse. Continued to fast and pray. It shows that spiritual discipline is not conditional on circumstances. I don't only have spiritual discipline because my circumstances are good. On top of that, something upsetting is not a good reason to disconnect from God. How much better off would we be individually and corporately if our first instinct was to turn to our habit and discipline of prayer? Emotions are powerful, but they're not enough. There is more than just a feeling to a calling. And when the story continues in chapter 2, we see that Nehemiah, as cupbearer to the king, four months after hearing the news, he decides to take a risk. So he has this powerful emotional response to hearing about Jerusalem, and then he waits four months before he makes a move. And understand, as cupbearer to the king, the cupbearer, he's supposed to lift the king's spirits. So whenever he comes into the king's presence, he is supposed to lift the mood of the king. Meaning, the cupbearer is not allowed to be sad or moody or anything of the sort. In fact, this position, should the cupbearer bring down the king's mood, the king could have the cupbearer killed for something as simple as coming in with a bad mood. And so he decides to take a risk. He chooses to be sad in front of the king, and the king picks up on this. But instead of getting upset, the king asks what's going on. Now, Nehemiah, he felt like God above was calling him to something. But even though God above was calling him to something, it doesn't mean he disregards the king in front of him. For all that the king above has called him to, the king in front has a part to play. Because you see, King Artaxerxes, he's the reigning king over conquered and destroyed Jerusalem. So the level of risk that Nehemiah took isn't just that he was sad in the presence of the king, but that what Nehemiah was being called to was in fact in direct conflict with this king. And so he makes this astounding request, King, my city is in ruins I want to rebuild the walls. So to the reigning, conquering king of Jerusalem, Nehemiah asks to rebuild the walls. And because he moves in order, because he took the time to process his emotions and his emotional response to hearing the news and then taking four months before taking that next step, and now he's made the request, my city, it's broken, I want to rebuild it, the king says yes. But understand what happens here. Not only does the king say yes, but Nehemiah now moves in the favor of God. And he says, okay, I got your permission. But then he looks at the king and he says, king, um, I want a letter from you that says I can do what I'm doing. Why? Nehemiah was called to a God vision and a God vision is always going to attract critics, enemies, and persecutors because opposition happens to God vision. And so he knows he's being called to something big and he says, not only do I have your permission, king, I want your protection. So when they come to criticize, when they come to attack, I can hold up that letter and show them the king has said yes. 
And the king says, fine, I'll give you that letter. And then Nehemiah, he's already out there. He's like, you know what? Let me take another step. And he says, king, I want a letter from you so that the person in charge of the forest, they can know that I can take timber from your forest to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, rebuild this city. And the king says, yes. Nehemiah is called to something by the king of kings above, but in moving respectfully with the king in in front of him, Nehemiah moves with the permission, provision, and protection of the king. However, just because you see something that needs fixing doesn't necessarily mean it's your call. Because the walls have been ruined for years. And those people simply accepted it. They all saw the problem and they adjusted their lives to that problem. No one saw beyond the problem. They simply accepted it. These people have grown accustomed to the brokenness, which leads to this question. How would they respond to a vision to rebuild what's broken if they've had no problem accepting what's broken? It would change the status quo. It would require energy and effort that they hadn't bothered to expend as yet. But for Nehemiah, it was different. You see, the brokenness, it broke him. It created a burden, but for Nehemiah, it didn't stay a burden. Burden became the birthplace of vision for Nehemiah. And the grief transformed to vision, but don't miss why. There was a relationship with God preceding the news. It wasn't just something to do for God's people that he sought God's will for, but because he was already seeking God in prayer and fasting, he had an internal posture before God that enabled him to be burdened and called by God to something wildly beyond any one man's means, and that was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But to accomplish this, Nehemiah transforms his burden into a vision. Why? To build something meaningful, you can't attract with a burden, but you do attract with a vision. A burden focuses on what's broken. A vision, a vision focuses on what can be. A burden, it doesn't see a result until the brokenness is completely fixed. But a vision, a vision sees every step as progress. One important reason for this transformation is no one will ever feel a personal burden of yours the same way you do. When you lead with a burden, you leave yourself wide open to offense and anger when you realize no one feels it as personal and as deeply as you do. You will find yourself alone over and over again when you try to build with a burden, not because the others are wrong, but because you find yourself getting hurt over and over again, wondering, why don't they feel about this the same way I do? Have you ever experienced that? You share a grief or something that you're going through and the person just kind of looks at you and like taps you on the back. Okay, have a good day. And it's like, okay, I'm never sharing anything with you again, right? It's this burden. It's this grief that you have and you share it with someone and they just give you a surface level answer. That's why you can't lead with burden. You need to lead with vision because no one is ever going to wear that burden or that grief the same way that you do. And when they don't, you're just going to get upset that they don't. And so the possibility to build is going to end because you're upset that they didn't feel it the same way as you do. 
But feelings, listen, they're not substantive when it comes to calling. No one will feel or carry the burden the way that you do. To build something meaningful and miraculous, you do not attract with a burden, but with a vision. And before there was ever a vision to build, Nehemiah had to build his vision. And we see this clearly. Because before he ever lets anyone in on his vision to build, Nehemiah is methodical in the build of his vision. He takes this long journey to Jerusalem and he spends three days observing. One night, he takes a few men with him. And verse 12 in chapter 2 tells us, I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Let's focus on that for a second, right? Because there's some possessive language there. There's my God, there's my heart, but look at the object of this. It's not for me. It's for Jerusalem. It's for the city. When the righteous thrive, the city rejoices. The impact of the righteous should go far beyond themselves. And so Nehemiah, he's got this grief, he's got this burden, and it's, it's turning into a vision. But he says, he doesn't tell anyone what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Listen, as humans, it's really easy to have a vision of my God, of my heart, that is for me. Right? It's super easy to come up with something that promotes yourself or protects yourself. But Nehemiah is saying, no, my God has put something into my heart that is going to benefit the people of God. And that's a huge vision. But we also see that humility is at the heart of it. Because the benefit of this vision is going to extend way beyond one person or a small group of people. It's going to benefit the city. And so he observes and inspects without telling others of what he's doing because he knows the time to share the vision to build is not yet. He knows he needs to build the vision first. 2.16 takes this even further. It tells us the officials didn't know where Nehemiah had gone or what he was doing. And then we read that Nehemiah hadn't yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and this last phrase, the rest who were to do the work. The rest who were to do the work. Nehemiah understood this vision is going to require many hands. It's going to require many people. But he also knew the, the time to share the vision is not yet. The vision is for an appointed time, but not yet. And before I ever share the vision to build, Nehemiah had to build a vision. And that vision was going to require other people. But Nehemiah is so confident in the appeal of his vision, he knows the only one who is called to build the vision is him. And Nehemiah wisely transforms grief and burden into vision. And here's the best, simplest way I can break down the difference between burden and vision. A burden is something you have to do, but a vision is something you get to do. I know you guys have experienced this. You got something on your to-do list that you have to do that you don't want to do. And it gets moved to the next day or the next week or until you absolutely have to do it. But when there's something that you get to do, the energy is completely different. It's not I have to do it. It's I get to do it. I get to wake up and be a part of this vision. And so the difference between burden, grief, and vision is the difference between something you have to do and something you get to do. And when you have something that you get to do, you realize that ultimately it was what you had to do, but you had a change in your perspective that helped you see it as something you get to do and not have to do. 
And if you doubt that Nehemiah transformed a burden into a vision, then read chapter 3. It's a little bit of a boring chapter in terms of reading, but in terms of what it reveals, it's astounding. This book, it might carry Nehemiah's name, but the miracle of rebuilding an entire city's walls in 52 days, it only happened because the burden built a vision and the vision, it built a mission with unity at the heart of it. If the people were not unified in vision, the miracle never happens. Nehemiah did not weigh the people down with a burden. He liberated them with a vision. And then these people chose to be a part of that vision. And in choosing to be a part of that vision, they got to be part of a miracle. And listen, we're in 2023. We're talking about a construction project that took, th took place thousands of years ago. I'm not particularly interested in construction projects at all. And yet here we are talking about a major construction project that took place thousands of years ago because of the miracle that happened when grief turned into a vision and a vision unified people that they chose to be a part of. Leadership, vision, they are so critical for any organization of people. And in Nehemiah, I think we see a great glimpse of what the church should look like. Is leadership important? Yes. Is vision important? Yes, but nothing gets done without a people unified in vision. And that's the thing about vision. It takes a leader to build a vision. It takes patience, observation, and wise recruitment to build a vision. Nehemiah was the one whose burden became a call that became a vision, but realized the wisdom he had in building that vision. Even though he knew he would need the help of others for this vision, he knew he needed to build the vision before he ever shared the vision to build. All this leadership and vision would amount to nothing without the wisdom to preserve unity. And yet again, we see how wise Nehemiah was in his leadership and building buy-in to the vision because rebuilding a city's walls is a massive task. But what did he do? He assigned each family the responsibility to rebuild the wall opposite their home. He created ownership. There was a personal stake involved that helped each family give their best. Because when someone is personally invested in something, they are going to give you their best. And so Nehemiah didn't just say, hey, we're going to rebuild walls. He said, you, your home, you're in charge of this part of the wall. Rebuild it. And because there was that personal vested interest, it created buy-in to the vision. And it helped each family do their part. And this is a collective corporate vision where the benefit is large scale, but it cannot be accomplished if individuals do not do their part. For all the wisdom needed to build a vision, even more wisdom is required to protect unity from division. To keep the unity, we must always be on the lookout for division. And I know, right, logically, it's like, duh, yes. We can't be unified if there is division. But sometimes we use that word so casually and so flippantly that I think we overlook the simple meaning of that word. Division, die, visions, two visions. And when you have two visions, the vision, the original vision 
it dies. Why am I pointing this out? What's it mean? It means if you're not the builder of the vision and yet you are part of the vision, you need to check yourself that you're actually fully submitted to the vision and not letting your own vision take precedence. And now I'm not talking about a blind allegiance, but I am talking about a real honest look at yourself to see that you're not about your own vision because that creates division and division is where vision goes to die. Understand something, a proper vision to build, it's worth defending. Nehemiah 4, 16 and 17. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spear, shields, bows, and coats, uh, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other especially when it comes to God's kingdom. We don't just prepare to build, we prepare to defend as well. Nehemiah made sure the people were united in vision so that they knew two things very clearly. They knew who they were building for and they knew who was against them building. And that's why we need to strive for unity and protect against division. Because the big C church has enough real enemies to deal with without letting division and preferences derail the little C church. One of the most powerful destroyers of unity in the church is people who are more focused on little C church preferences and lose sight of the big C church mission. One example of this is the my ministry people. My ministry. As long as my ministry is doing well, I'm happy. I've got news for you. The church is comprised of many ministries. And if all you care about is your own ministry, but not the other ministries, you're going to be guilty of rebuilding your own section of the wall and then realizing there may be a struggle here or there that's not leading to the rebuilding of their wall and you are still open to attack because you didn't care about the others. A my ministry person cares more about what their ministry looks like rather than if the wall is functional. One of my favorite isms I picked up from Pastor Stephen in these four years is this. God does not have a mission for his church. He has the church for his mission. The mission of the gospel, it predates any of us. We need to have it in proper perspective. We exist for the mission, not the mission for us. When we get that twisted, the big C church suffers because we've gotten stuck on little C church preferences. Imagine being more concerned with what the wall looked like over whether it does its job. We as the church would be wise to remember what Nehemiah did. Yes, the families rebuilt the section of wall opposite their home. But for the wall to be functional, it had to be entirely rebuilt. And this means the people had to care about more than just their own section. You could be good at rebuilding your own section of wall. But you need to be invested in the family next to you if they're struggling to rebuild theirs. Because 98% of the city's walls could be rebuilt, but if 2% of them are down, you are still completely open to attack, even though 98% of the walls have been rebuilt. Are you with me, church? Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's not about your own personal section. We need to care about the other families who are rebuilding the wall to protect their own home, because together we will protect the entire city. 
Together we are bought into a vision that is going to reach far beyond my own little section of wall. It's going to benefit everyone that I'm building with. It's not just that I'm invested in my part. It's that my investment in my part doesn't just benefit me. It benefits others. I have one last Riley Grace story for you this morning. Uh, and before, before I share it, I just want to share the good news uh, that we received this last week about Riley Grace, you know, born prematurely, early intervention to help her catch up and close her physical development gaps and all the rest. And so we did a little goodbye party with the, with the therapist this week. And uh, Jackie asked if they could do a little uh, informal cognitive test uh, of Riley. And so Riley's 20 months now, but you know she was at the tail end of 19 months when they did the assessment. And Riley Grace, at just about to turn 20 months old, failed her cognitive, failed her cognitive test at the four year old level. And so uh, I'm just so grateful to God for how he's brought Riley Grace through all her early life challenges and just wanted to share that with you. And so Riley, she's, she's at the phase now where she loves to stack, right? And so she can get to five pretty easily, you know, but it's so cute to watch because she focuses so hard. And like, so she's like stacking, her little tongue sticks out, right? And, she's, and, and she builds and she gets to five and maybe, and maybe six. But then guess what happens next? The towers go flying, right? As much effort as she put into building this little tower, there is just another level of joy when she just both of And she sends the towers flying. Because at her age and her maturity level, that's to be expected, right? There's more joy in knocking down and destroying than there is in building. But if we want to successfully build a church, united in mission and vision, we need to realize it's not about the age of who's building, it's about their maturity. On Wednesday, I'm preaching from Philippians 3 where Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And he distinguishes between mature thought and immature thought without any reference to age. In God's kingdom, it's possible to be young and spiritually mature and old and spiritually immature. And that's why Paul had to encourage Timothy to not let anyone look down on him because he was young. Because older immature people, older spiritually immature people will always look down on a younger spiritually mature person. And what Paul was saying was, Timothy, you might be young, but your spiritual maturity is beyond your years. And when it comes to building a church in mission and vision, I just want to speak real for a minute about what prevents multi-generational unity. Because listen, the church will not succeed without multi-generational unity. The generations need to be united in what the vision and the mission of the church is. And so I want to speak real about that for a minute. Because what could happen is this, the older generation believes the younger generation doesn't measure up to them, while at the same time absolving themselves of the responsibility they could have played in that happening. And the younger generation pulls away from having a humble, teachable spirit to try and learn from the older generation. Think about it. Have you ever been, spent time with someone who's critical of you? Do you look forward to spending time with them? No. Why? They speak death into your life. You want nothing to do with them. 
So I'm not, I'm not calling out the older generation saying it's all your fault. I'm simply saying here is a very obvious reason why multi-generational unity falls apart. And the, and the thing is, the church is the place where grace should abound. That spiritual maturity should take precedence on both sides of the generational aisles to own up to their weaknesses but combine their strengths so that the church is better for it. And so after all this talk of building, this is where I want to talk about you, Bethany, because you truly are so special to my family and I. This is my third church that I'm transitioning out of, and by far, it is the hardest, saddest time I've had in leaving a church. All of this talk about leadership, vision, and unity, it reminds me of how my journey started here. And it started with Pastor Stephen sharing a vision with me. I didn't hear what he thought was wrong with Bethany. I didn't hear what needed fixing at Bethany. I simply heard the best that he believed God wanted for Bethany. It was compelling. It was simple. It was clear. And so I joined. I joined, and I'm so happy I did because I got to have a front row seat to Pastor Stephen leading a congregation into a rebuild. And I got to watch wisdom combined with prayer and fasting, deliberation, observation, and unity protecting leadership. For where Bethany was and where Bethany is now, Bethany is fortunate to have had Pastor Stephen's leadership. In fact, if I can be brutally honest with you, one massive reason I took this job was not only the vision but the fact that Pastor Stephen had 10 years invested here before taking the lead position. I would not have taken this position if it was someone coming in from the outside completely cold to Bethany. But because Pastor Stephen had 10 years invested here for all the vision that you've heard of to renew hunger, heart, hope, and hospitality, that vision, it wasn't built as some pie-in-the-sky dream, but because there were 10 years of experience and preparation that preceded it. And if I'm not being explicit enough, let me state it bluntly. Where others may have grown accustomed to broken walls, there was a pastor in waiting, seeing, observing, and building a vision. And I am so glad that it was Pastor Stephen that God ordained as the lead pastor of Bethany because I have learned so incredibly much from serving with him from watching him lead this church into the rebuild that it needed. I can tell you from being on the inside here at Bethany that Pastor Stephen's leadership and pastoring, it's consistent, it's stable, it's authentic. I can tell you that when I look at Nehemiah and I look at Bethany, I have no doubt who the Nehemiah of Bethany is, and that's why I wanted to share this message with you. Because even in times when I struggled here, where I had some burdens to walk through, there was such solid, authentic, integrity-filled, mature leadership to turn to that I could trust. Maybe over the last four years, you've picked up on the fact that Pastor Stephen and I may be a little bit different, right? And so let me, let me give you the simplest way I can break down some of the differences between Pastor Stephen and I. Pastor Stephen, glass half full leadership. Me, glass half empty, <laughs> right? And so every time I went through a struggle with half, uh, glass half empty leadership, I went to him and he was able to reframe it into a glass half full leadership. And I am so, so grateful for that. When I talk about building a vision before sharing a vision to build, I want to be honest with you. I want to admit 
And this week was the most difficulty I've ever had writing a sermon because I was in denial of the fact that we're leaving. I didn't want to write it. It's like, well, if I don't write it, then I don't preach it, so I'm still here, <laughs> right? <laughs> if I don't say goodbye, then maybe I'm staying, right? And, and don't get me wrong, we are excited about what God has called us to, but there is a deep, deep sadness about leaving Bethany. Because you see, from the beginning, from the beginning, Pastor Stephen shared a vision that included the remodel that's currently happening. He shared it so well from the beginning that it's always been something I thought about and planned about. And a God-given vision to build, it grips you. It has a hold on you. And it was such a compelling God-given vision that Pastor Stephen shared from the beginning that it gripped me. And over the last year, I can't tell you how many times I thought of reopening day. The remodel's finally done. We reopen. Brand new, beautiful sanctuary. Brand new lobby. A cafe in full swing, treating guests exceptionally well. A bigger lobby marked with prayer stations, manned by prayer partners in bright shirts, worship music, welcoming guests as soon as their car doors open in the parking lots. And my favorite part, Jackie and Riley Grace standing with me in the lobby. Riley Grace in my arms, dressed in a cute little hospitality shirt, doing what she does best. If you've never gotten a high from Riley Grace, I hope you get it in the next couple weeks because it is the most genuine, joy-filled thing you will ever hear. Hi! And it's like, you're only 20 months old. You're acting like, like, you're acting like you've known me your whole 20-month life. And it was so exciting to think about that. So joy-giving to think about that. And so it makes me incredibly sad that I won't get to be on staff for that day or be involved in the plans to show a renewed hospitality that morning. And I say all that to say that I'm simply so humbled and grateful that I got to serve alongside Pastor Stephen, who led with vision and not burden, has always supported, always trusted, and always pushed to give my best here. And if you'll allow me this moment of honesty, there's one part of being here at Bethany I've loved the most and has meant the most to me. I'm sure it'll come as no surprise to you, but the fact that Pastor Stephen trusted me as the alternate preacher in this house really meant a lot. In fact, when Pastor Stephen first interviewed me, one of his first questions was about preaching, because if you've read my resume, it was pretty plain that I was passionate about preaching. And you see, I knew that when God called me here, I was taking a step of putting a gift aside because I believed that God was asking me to prepare for a season of being lead pastor. And that to do so, I had to step out of the role of preaching and simply grow in ministry behind closed doors, behind the scenes. But on that day, what I told Pastor Stephen was this. I understand what my role is. I understand preaching won't be a regular thing here, but I do want you to know this. If ever there's a Sunday morning you wake up and you're sick or you have a fever, just know there is another preacher in the house ready to go at the drop of a hat. And I genuinely, genuinely meant that. And it has been such an honor 
and a pleasure to serve in that role with you and for you. And so I just want to sign off with one look ahead to the future. When the remodel is done and that day comes where Bethany reopens, I want to ask you one thing. Understand that the reopening, it's the culmination of our vision of renewal. It is a new season. The word of God says that he makes everything beautiful in his time. And that time is coming. But in the meantime, we've had to move to the lighthouse. And three services can feel like a struggle. Just ask Pastor Camille Grace, right? Um, it can feel like the struggle, but the struggle will be worth it. Yes, that season of beautiful is coming, but sometimes we got to go through a season of ugly before we get to that season of beautiful. But with God, that season of struggle is always, always worth it. And so when this rebuilding is done, please, there's one mindset I want to ask you to protect yourself from. When Bethany reopens, please do not think about it as going back to normal or going back to the way things were. You need to realize it is a new season that's going to be the foundation for a new vision going forward. In fact, let me put it to you this way. Pastor Stephen would never put it this way, but I will. We are not investing three to four million dollars to go back to old ways. It is a new season. It is something new that God is calling us to in the Pioneer Valley and around the world. So I don't care if you were born at an altar call at Bethany and have lived your whole life here. All of us are walking into a new season when the remodel is done. Protect yourself from letting an old mindset try and comprehend a new vision. You know why? The old mindset is fine with broken walls, but it takes someone called by God to say, here's the vision to not only rebuild the walls, but to reach the Pioneer Valley and the world with what God has called the Big C Church to be. And this little C Church, Bethany, is going to be a frontier church that glorifies God and expands God's kingdom. And so understand that even now, as the vision begins, as the vision to renew begins to reach its end, that over the last year or so, there's been a Nehemiah building a vision. That even when he first cast the vision for renewal, he knew that that vision was for an appointed season. And that once that season ended, there was another season which would need a new vision to come understand someone's been building that vision all along. And that when the time is right, the person who builds that vision is going to share that vision to build. That vision to build is going to be life-giving. It's going to be appealing. But most of all, it's going to be unifying so that Bethany Assembly of God can continue to be a church on mission for what God has called it to be. But it would be wrong of me to not end on this note. Psalm 127.1 Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. If you want Bethany Assembly of God to go nowhere fast, choose your vision over God's vision for this church. 
Create the vision by thinking that your vision is what you've been called to hear, or a vision that promotes you or glorifies you instead of understanding that when the righteous thrive, the city rejoices, and the impact of the righteous is supposed to go far beyond themselves. If you do that, you're going to labor in vain. But if we can come together as a body of believers to say, I'm going to sacrifice my preferences to buy into a vision that isn't meant just to benefit us, but benefit those who haven't even walked in this building yet, you will see God do miraculous things through Bethany, just like he did through a people that rebuilt a city's walls in 52 days. God has the church for his mission. We don't build that on our own, but submitted and committed to what the word tells us the church is. To all who have served on hospitality, especially my team leaders, thank you. We could not have built what we have built so far without you. To Jason and Liz, the roles that you've played over the last year or two for the teamwork and the friendship, thank you. To those who have been in connect groups, thank you for stepping into the vision of connecting our body further through small groups that help us to grow to be more Christ-like and learn to be Christ-like to each other. For those who take the step even further to say, I'm willing to be a connect group leader, thank you for taking that step and helping the vision not just be some ideal dream, but actually begin to happen in front of us. To those who have taken partner track and jumped into membership here, thank you. Especially to Greg, who has been so incredible in leading partner track and not scaring away the people who take the class, to Rob and Ginger Marzalek, who, who care about new believers so much, and they do such a fantastic job of teaching the basics of our faith and answering questions in our first steps class. Thank you, Rob and Ginger, for your faithful service to God's kingdom here. Yes, we have built some things over the last four years, but there is so much more building to do that lies ahead. Bethany, Whoever your next connections pastor is, embrace them, love them, support them, trust them, build with them. Don't compare them. Don't make comparison. Value them for who they are, what they bring to the table, and respect the call on their life that they follow here to join you and lead you into what God has for Bethany to come. Bethany, it has been an honor to be your Connections Pastor for the last four years. Our partnership in the Big C Church remains no matter where any of us go. Nothing can change the very best reality of being a Christian. And the very best reality of being a Christian is this, the best is yet to come. Amen? Thank you, Pastor Franco. I want to call on us to respond this morning. We've heard a, a, a message about unity and about vision, about what God has called us to do as a body of believers. As a church, we're partners together in the gospel of Jesus, and he's called us together to accomplish something. Right now, that vision is one of unity and one of renewal for God's house. 
And this morning, if you've just sensed the Holy Spirit calling you to a renewal of that kind of vision, a renewal of unity and of commitment to what God has called us to together, I'm going to ask that you would just uh, stand up and join your brothers and sisters here at the front for just a moment, if you can do that even now. So if, if you're just sensing the, the Lord say, Lord, I, I, I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want, to, I want to say yes again to being a part of building the wall that God has called us to build, to the vision of this congregation and what Jesus has asked us to do together. Just come and and together we want to gather for a moment. I just want to pray over us and then we're going to take a moment and pray for Pastor Franco and for his family as they prepare for a new ministry endeavor. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, you see our hearts, you see us coming, Lord. You see our desire together to be the people that you've called us to be here in the Pioneer Valley. Lord, we ask that you would just refill us with a, a, a vision for the, the future of this church. God, a, a vision of what you want to take place. Lord, the vision of a renewed house. Lord, the renewed heart that we should have for your mission, stirred up, passionate and powerful for making disciples. Lord, a vision of renewed hope, leaning forward, looking ahead to what you've called us to do, Lord, a vision of of renewed hospitality and in welcoming people and in in drawing near to them and in helping them get connected with the body of Christ, Lord, and a vision of renewed hunger, Lord, being stirred up with a passion to pray and to seek you, to believe you for the things that only you can do, to believe you that you'll build the house if we'll hold on in hunger to you. Lord, we ask that you would renew us in that today, that you would help us not to lose momentum. Lord, even as we're here and and, and we're wondering, when, when is the renovation going to be done? And when, when can we expect to be back where we were? Lord, help us to, to use this season as a time to, to be stirred up. Lord, to expect not to go back to normal as we've been challenged today, but to expect we're stepping into a new season. Lord, stir us in this time. We pray, God, that we would not grow comfortable with broken walls. That we wouldn't grow comfortable looking at things the way that they are, but we would say, no, God has a better thing to come. And we're trusting him to do it in us and through us. And Father, we pray against division. Lord, we pray that there would be a unity of spirit, even as your word teaches us, that we would be unified in spirit and intent on a single purpose to which you've called us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to not be comfortable talking about what we what we would like or our own preferences or my ministry, but that instead, Lord, we would be looking out for each other, looking to help to build not just our own portion of the wall, but to see the city wall built up, to see the whole church built up in maturity in Jesus Christ. Lord, today we recommit to you to accomplishing what you've called us together to do. Lord, we thank you for the brothers and sisters around us. We thank you that they're helping, that they're building with us. Help us to build each other up so that we can accomplish your mission together. And Father, I just pray as well for Pastor Franco and for Jackie, for Riley, as well as for the little one on the way. Father, thank you so much for their ministry here at Bethany. Lord, thank you for the investment that they've made in our lives and in our church and ongoing investment that they've helped to pour into this vision. And we ask as they prepare to go into a new season. Lord, give them new vision. I know Pastor Franco is praying about that right now. I know that as he goes, he's going to be looking and talking and listening uh, to, to what people have to say and seeing where things are and what needs to be done. And Lord, I pray that you just give him an ear to the Spirit, uh, an ability to hear what it is that you want to do. Lord, not just hearing what others think needs to be done, but Lord, that he be able to hear what is it the Holy Spirit is calling him to lead in this new season. And I pray that you make it 
crystal clear. Give him those who would pray for him and would surround him, Lord, and would agree with him and believe with him for the things that you want to do. And Lord, as he begins to share that vision, as you teach him, Lord, I pray that he would have people who would who would catch on about what you want to do and be excited for the vision for Archer's Chapel. Lord, I pray that you would bless him as he goes. Bless him with wisdom. Please keep him and his family safe. And Lord, I pray that you would give them comfort as well. Lord, we know that they're leaving They're leaving their church family. They're also moving away from, from their families, Lord, to go to Tennessee. We pray for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that they have been obedient to you to go. And I pray that as they go, you'd bless them, that you'd give them favor, that you'd go ahead of them. Lord, we know that the enemy would seek to destroy this kind of work, and so we pray against that. We ask, Lord, that you would give him wisdom to see where the enemy is seeking to attack or to tempt, and I pray that you'd help him to raise up the wall there, to raise up the standard there. I pray that you protect him in his heart and his mind and in his leadership to be able to listen to your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray for a powerful, powerful anointing. Lord, make him effective in his preaching, in his teaching, in the private conversations, in his leadership, Lord. Make him effective beyond what he can do on his own. We pray for the outpouring of your spirit on him and his family for effective ministry in this new context. And Lord, we thank you again for him. In Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Franco. We appreciate your word and your ministry here at Bethany over these last four years.